0: Well, uh, as you're thinking about clapping, one thing worthy of clapping, something pretty monumental happening this morning. We are finishing the book of Acts. Ooh. So turn to your neighbor, say you made it. You made it. Uh, that We've all made it, and it's hopefully been a wonderful journey uh, for you. I know it has uh, for me. Honestly, I think it's the the longest series that I've ever taught through. This was, t- today is week 51, in case you're wondering how many uh, weeks we've actually studied the book of Acts. And I think all of that uh, brings glory to God as we look at uh, the beginning of the early uh, church. In uh, kind of preparation for this morning's message, I was doing uh, reading a number of different uh, arenas, and one of them was talking about a kind of a pivotal time in World War II where Britain was feeling the uh, the pressure of Hitler's unrelenting air raids and just under attack. And really as a nation, we're really questioning what their future uh, looked like, really a point in their history where they needed encouragement to say the least. And Winston Churchill, as he was known for doing, had the perfect words at the perfect time. I don't know if you've heard this quote before. This is how he addressed the nation. He says, now's not the end it's not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Who talks like that? Like who talks like that? The one, the one little phrase that caught my attention there is the, the, the phrase at the end, the end of the beginning. I was like, you know what? That's a beautiful picture of where we're at in the book of Acts. You might say, why is that? Well, the reason I say that is because Acts isn't a story that ends with Luke's account. Acts is an account of the Holy Spirit's work building his church. Jesus promised, I will build my church. And the chapters have continued for the next couple thousand years, even till present date. Isn't it cool to think that we're still writing chapters in the book of Acts? At Old Agora, we're writing chapters about what the, the story of the church looked like. We're still writing those chapters. Don't you wonder, I was thinking about this week in my study, I'm like, what would be said in the chapters written about Agora Bible Fellowship? I'd be thrilled if those those words that are in the back wall as you're walking in, encounter, equip, extend, if those were the chapter headings, encounter, this is a, a place where we set the table every single week with a, a consistent study of God's word, with authentic worship, with fervent prayer, we set the table for people to encounter Jesus Christ, where they show up and there's like, man, there's just something different when we're together as a community. There's something there where we, was that an encounter that I just heard? Yeah. Uh, uh, something different that uh, happens in this room. Equip, a place where people grow in their relationship with Christ and their ability to utilize their gifts to serve and bless others. Man, I would love for that to be included in the chapters written about our church or extend. And I've seen this so much in the last couple of weeks in response to all that's been going on in our community. The extend piece where we have a heart to reach out, not just to serve others, but serve it attached to the word of Jesus Christ, the uh, message of Jesus Christ attached to service. I would love for those things. I don't know about you, but those would make me very happy if those made it into the chapters written about our church. Well, as this story concludes with the Apostle Paul, you're starting to see kind of some trends develop or patterns develop. I don't know if you have anybody in your life where if you, you've spent so much time with them that when you're around them, you're like, yeah, I saw that coming. I was totally expecting them to say that. Uh, that that's a manner. Yeah, they're, they're doing that. They're up to being. Well, here's Paul at the end being Paul. He's being Paul just like usual. Who's that person in your life that you watch. You're like, man, I saw that. My, my dad is that person in my life. He, he's one of those people that still tell the exact same jokes that he told when I was a little kid. In fact, I saw him recently. He was talking to my son, Chase, who's uh, uh, 13 years old. He was talking to him and put his hand on his head and started kind of giving him a little head massage. And he goes, hey, Chase, do you know what this is? Chase like, I have no idea. He said, it's a brain sucker. Chase Chase's like, all right, all right, great. And he said, Chase, do you you know what this this brain sucker's doing? And he's like, no. He's like, it's starving to death. I'm like, what in the world? Who says that? No wonder I'm self-conscious and he's investing into the future of my children. Same jokes, haven't changed. Maybe maybe another thing that hasn't changed, he still sneezes in groups, uh, clusters of three or four. It's never, ever one sneeze. It's a cluster, it's a grouping. And at the end of a long day, his sigh is exactly the same. He still ends a long day by going, oh, hug a boogie. What does a hug a boogie mean? <laughs> it hasn't changed. I'm not, uh, you can tease him about this later, but, uh, but I'm not talking here about weird quirks about the Apostle Paul. I'm talking about repeatable patterns that we're not just to observe, but to actually emulate. Any good author knows that when you're writing a book, a novel, or whatever, you want to have some threads that are consistent throughout the story. Well, Paul established for us in the beginning of the early church threads that we are intended to carry all the way through to the present day chapters of the church. Well, I'm excited to look at some of those threads this morning, but if you wouldn't mind just joining me in a word of prayer before we explore these last verses. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for a chance to be in your word. And we're grateful for the teaching that it does, that the shaping that it does, the the expanding of our understanding of you that it does. We invite all of those things here this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would even be present in this room in these moments. God, meeting us in our exact places of need, whether it's a word of encouragement, whether it's a word of challenge, the things that only your spirit knows to do, we ask for this morning. We pray that in Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, chapter 28, if you wouldn't mind turning with me there if you're not already, chapter 28, verse 16, going through the conclusion of the book. The very first verse, verse 16, we're going to start with that as we're starting this last section. It says, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now we're going to stop there just for a moment. You're like, oh, that not very much was said there. But what I want to point out is three very important words came into Rome. This is a really big deal. The reason this is a really big deal is because God had made that promise to Paul for years and years, said, you will make it to Rome to be my witness, to have the opportunity to share about my love with those folks. So here, the reason I bring that up is because I think it's so important in the life of a Christ follower for us to be able to recognize, acknowledge, and enjoy when God is faithful to his promises to us. We have a tendency to get, so we're just blazing at such a pace that we forget to slow down and say like, oh, wait a second, he was faithful there. He did fulfill. I'll tell you what, in the last couple of weeks, as we've responded to things with the fire, I've never heard more stories of close calls ever in my life. Seriously, have you guys heard this endless stories of just like, oh yeah, my house was 10 yards from the fire. Oh yeah, I was, I was right down the block from this. Oh, I was right here in God's. And even the Albrights who were in the first service who did lose their home, the stories of God's provision and care as I was talking to him after the service, it was just like, it's been unbelievable, God's response through this difficult time. I'll tell you what, one of the things that keeps our, our relationship with Christ vibrant and our walk with him heading in the right direction is making sure that we acknowledge and enjoy God's fulfilled promises. Here, Paul's actually getting the opportunity. I think it's kind of neat. What does it say is happening to him? He's basically arrived to Rome and he's under house arrest. That means that he's got some freedom within the context of the home to kind of come and go, but he does still have a soldier with him 24-7. I was reading a little bit of history on this, and basically kind of, if you would imagine house arrest still today, there'd be a rotation of different soldiers with Paul 24 hours a day. Most likely, they believe it would be on eight-hour shifts, kind of like us today, doing an eight-hour day. And so you think about that. The city of Rome was known for having the most elite soldiers in the known world, known as the Imperial Guard. That sounds like something out of Star Wars. But the Imperial Guard, they were actually, if there was a rotation of three... Paul, out of the 4,500 known guards there, would have had in those two years that he's here, the opportunity to sit with almost half of those guards. In fact, in Philippians, look at this passage, Paul says this, he says, "...it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ." Do you think you could sit with Paul for eight hours and not have him bring up something about Jesus? Like impossible. So Paul is in hog heaven. Like he's literally, that's a weird phrase. Uh, he's, He's totally in his element, having the opportunity to share about Jesus because God has been faithful to his promise. And Paul, if you look at it as its story continues, takes advantage of this opportunity to reach out to his people. Verse 17, After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. We'll stop there for a little walking through that. I don't know if you've noticed kind of a pattern in communication in the last couple of years. A statement I've noticed kind of surface is people use the expression, my people. Have you ever heard somebody say that, whether they're talking about a group of people that they work with, some uh, high school friends, or some people they are in a choir with, or they go to church with, or whatever. It's an expression that people talk about people that are kind of the people they, they spend time with and care about the most, my people. Well, in Paul's case, his people are Who? The Jewish people is more ethnically based there for sure, so that every single time Paul arrives in a new community, who's the first group that Paul reaches out to? We've seen some patterns here. Jewish people, every single time. First time, as soon as he arrives here, without any variance, in the first three days, what does he do? Reaches out to the Jewish leaders. He gathers them together and you see him not sitting back and waiting, taking the initiative to reach out to the people he cared about the most. For looking for application, man, I'll tell you what, that is definitely one. When you're trying to figure out how you move from a, a life of inactivity as far as impact to a life of activity, it starts with reaching out to your people first. In this case, he's got a a tough road to haul because he's trying to convince them, hey, I got arrested and it did happen to be by other Jews, but I wasn't guilty. So he's he's trying to explain to them because it's important that they understand his innocence if they're gonna be open to hearing his message. Does that make sense? So he navigates that uh, carefully, but I love he uses a statement. He says, because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Because of the hope of Israel. What's the hope of of Israel? What have they been waiting for? They've been waiting for the Messiah. The the hope of Israel that he's in chains for is who? Jesus Christ. That's the hope. And when you're looking for threads in present day story, guess what? The hope hasn't changed. A few weeks back before the the fires, if you remember the the shooting in Pittsburgh, the synagogue there is a pretty miserable uh, experience. And there's a... uh, a synagogue in uh, Calabasas where some of the leaders uh, had an interfaith gathering to kind of uh, in response to that. And I got invited to go to, to be a part of that and speak at that. So I was asking just in advance kind of what are some things that you'd like me to share? What are some uh, to-dos and not to-dos, if you will? And uh, it was interesting because they, the, the uh, director there sent me a little note and, uh, and she said, you know, we would prefer if you didn't talk about Donald Trump And if you didn't talk about Jesus as the Messiah, I was like, huh? So I'm kind of sitting in my office and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you've invited me to bring hope and I'm not supposed to, well, Trump, I can do, I don't have to talk about Trump. Uh, but, but to not talk about Jesus Christ as the Messiah, I'm just like, I'm a one-trick pony. That's all I've got. Like, I don't have any other hope to bring you, folks. And so, so uh, future reference, I'm like, don't invite me to things if you don't want me to talk about Jesus Christ. But in this, in this situation, he's bringing that hope. He's saying, the reason I'm in chains is because of this man. It was intriguing enough to them to say, hey, well, since we haven't heard any news about you being terrible, we're willing to hear what you have to say. We're willing to hear an explanation. And I like the, the statement that they, that they make about that. He says, they say, this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. In other words, this Christianity thing, we know everybody thinks it's kind of a messed up thing, but we want to hear from you. It's like, you know, that's kind of today's culture too. Where people are like, yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've heard some bad things about Christianity, some things about weird Christians and Bible thumpers, but I'm kind of intrigued because I know that it makes people very different. I know that it changes people. And so it's similar today. We still have the same amazing opportunities to reach out, to take initiative. It's not a city, it's not a, a sitting back and waiting for it to happen. And Paul, as we see there, definitely does that for us even going into the week ahead. And Christmas cafe. Initiate. Take this opportunity. Extend an invitation, See what God does through that. I've extended some. One person couldn't make it. That's OK. Another group has. So just see what God can do as we initiate. Verse 23. I titled this, Attempt to Convince About Jesus. I'll explain in a moment. Verse 23, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging, talking about Paul, in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said but others disbelieved. So what happened here is they agreed on a time that they could come together and talk. He's where they'd show up. And I love that it's so helpful in my opinion to clarify expectations. I even think when you're interacting with somebody, I think a helpful statement is, hey, would you mind if I take a minute to share with you the hope that I found in my life? And then that's a great segue. Then somebody can't get mad once you start talking to them about the hope that you found in your life. There's a little segue into conversation. My sister has been for years and years. She was a chaplain at Denver Hospital. It's a state-run institution. And so she had a real tricky uh, road to walk because her job was to visit people that were terminally ill. Can you imagine that? Day in and day out. She visited different folks. And they had real specific rules about how they were able to bring up anything related to a specific religion. So my sister early on discovered this exact thing that I'm pointing out right here. All she had to do was ask permission. And once permission was granted, then she could share as much as she wanted. So in other words, she could say the same thing that I just said. Do you mind if I share where I've found hope in my life? That would then open up the threshold of being able to share much as she wanted about Jesus Christ. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Or here, Paul has been granted permission. They've said, we want to hear what you believe about this crazy sect is what they called it. And so they show up and Paul takes full advantage of it. How long does it say that Paul talked to him? Look at your text there. How long? From morning to morning till evening. One might say that that's kind of overstepping your bounds. If somebody grants you permission to share your hope, I'm not suggesting you talk for the next 12 hours, but Paul did. Paul literally, as best as he can, can you imagine him with his heart for, these are his people, just pouring it out, laying it out from every possible angle in hopes of what? That maybe they would embrace Christ. And look at the words that it uses there. It says that he was trying to convince them about Jesus. So often I hear people give some kind of a little caveat. They'll say, you know what? I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm not trying to convert change your thinking about anything. I think that's a bunch of baloney. I think that's a false understanding of what we have and the message we hold. I am trying to convince people to think differently if they haven't embraced Christ. Why? Because their eternity hinges on what they believe about Jesus Christ. So none of this nonsense of, I'm not trying to convert anybody. Here, even Paul sets the stage for us. No, I'm trying to convince you because what you believe matters when this all wraps up. And in this case, he's very convincing. He has some respond and that's always the case. There comes to this point in a conversation after you've shared long enough where you're like, all right, so you got to decide. You got to decide. You've heard the truth. You've heard enough laid out. There comes to a conclusion where somebody has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus Christ. My same sister, I was just mentioning Kathleen, she was in town teaching at this women's uh, retreat that we had about a month ago. And she was, while she, she was here, she was telling me a story, another one from uh, one of her experiences as a chaplain. And she was telling a story where as she was visiting a man, she had the opportunity to share with him all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, explain to him everything, answered questions that he had, great dialogue. And at the end, she sensed kind of this point where like, hey, there's nowhere else left to go other than to decide what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. And so she asked him just politely at the end of the conversation, asked him, so is this a decision you're ready to make? Are you ready to to embrace Jesus and his finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins? And he said, you know what? I think I want to give it a little bit of time to think about it, to really consider it. And and, and I'll get back to you basically was the response. Well, she got word just a, a couple weeks later that this gentleman had had a stroke. And literally in that stroke, he was part, partially paralyzed. And in that paralysis actually couldn't speak, but still could, was coherent, was able to hear. Uh, and, and so she ended up visiting him again a second time. And as she's talking to him, and she established early on in the ca- conversation, it was kind of a funny thing. She was saying, yeah, I established that uh, he would wiggle One toe for yeses and a wiggle, wiggle his foot twice for noes. Are you tracking with me? And and so in this conversation, that's kind of how they communicated. Later in it, she said, you know what? I wanted to just come full circle on the conversation we had before and wanted to check and see if you're now interested in embracing Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Is that something that that you're ready to do? Guess what she saw at the end of the bed? The one wiggle. One wiggle. That, that man in his last days, he soon passed after that, when his last days with a wiggle of his toe embraced the Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool to think about? And you think about that and sometimes we're like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't wanna to be too pushy. I don't wanna to be too, and you're like, what would have happened if my sister hadn't nudged and pushed things a little bit in that scenario? What would have happened? It was absent of that. It, who, who knows what, have, what, what would have happened to this gentleman? For us to give ourselves permission, and that's why I titled this, Attempt to Convince. Like there's an active role in that because there's eternities at stake. There's so much at stake here. Attempt to convince about Jesus and then understand that it's still always a choice and there's going to be a mixed response. Look in this next section. First in verse 24, I mentioned, some were convinced by what he had said, others disbelieved. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Basically, this is the statement that ticked them off. It says this, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear Pretty powerful dialogue there. This idea that the gospel is pretty divisive. Some people embraced it. Some people rejected it. I found it interesting what he chose to do is he chose to point to the fact that the people that were re- rejecting there were just continuing the long tradition of Jewish folks rejecting God's messengers. was heartbreaking though. You see his heart in that. He's just like, oh, I just would long. If you would just turn, I would embrace you and heal you. He points out, he gives the reason for it. He says, this people's heart has grown dull. And really, if you think about it, anybody that's exposed to religion for an extended period of time, there's the potential for that to happen, right? When you've been exposed to things for kind of growing up in the church, all of a sudden what happens over time? The idea of sin, not such a big deal anymore. The idea of a needed savior, you know what, I'll be all right, I've got tomorrow to deal with that. All of those things have the potential, the dulling effect that can happen in someone's life. Scripture says that God's kindness is intended to move us to repentance, to to move us towards him. But unfortunately, so often we're surrounded with all of his kindness. And instead of it having the intended effect of moving us towards repentance, instead it does what? Makes us comfortable, complacent, not ready to actually step over any kind of a line because we think that tomorrow is a guarantee. Well, in this case, he moves towards that conversation and their mixed response though, doesn't dissuade him one bit. He just keeps on sharing. And I would love to see that even in our own churches. You know what? The joy that we have to share with people, it's not based on people's response because the one thing I know is just because somebody doesn't respond once doesn't mean in six months from now when they hear it, when you're you sharing it again, they might actually respond. Last week, I don't know if you were here in the this, uh, this service, but uh, we had a gentleman here that got to share. He's like, you know, a long period of time I was coming to this church. And finally, at some point, it clicked my need for Jesus. He made the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as his savior. So encouraging. Don't be dissuaded just because you don't have a mass revival. Paul was, and he kept on doing, continued with his bold witness. We'll end with this in verse 30. It says, he lived there. Two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I love that. That, that description of Paul welcomed everybody and continued with boldness. And notice it's not vague. It's not just, oh, he kept talking about God. No, it's very specific. Talking about Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ in our sharing with people. It's key that we're not vague in general with God talk, but specific about Jesus. And here in this case, you see that ending and you're like, oh, that's kind of an abrupt ending. That's the end of the, is there, honestly, when you guys read that, was there a part of you that's like, really? That's how the, the book ends? Doesn't even, doesn't even finish. It's like it, it stopped in the middle of the story. No. Exactly, exactly. You might wonder, how did things play out for Paul? Well, first off, this wasn't a story about Paul, was it? Paul's just a a player in the story. This isn't a story, but I'll tell you just to be nice. Paul spent the next two years In prison, And then after he finally had his day in court, most likely most theologians believe that the people that didn't show up in Caesarea to accuse him definitely didn't travel all the way to Rome to accuse him and look stupid in front of Caesar. So most likely his case was dismissed. He was set free. We learn in other books of the New Testament that he ended up traveling quite a bit after that. He went to Colossae to visit Philemon. He visited Crete, uh, Nereus. Nicopolis, Spain, to Ephesus, all these different places. Now, earlier in the message, I said that there are some patterns that you start to see in Paul based on what we've already learned about Paul. What's your guess of what Paul did when he went to these new locations? Anybody have any guess? Talk to who first? Then he went to thank the Lord for us, right? Uh, Basically, Paul kept being Paul right? All the way to the very end. We learn in church history that he was arrested a second time and ultimately executed by beheading. Uh, And and that's how his story ends. But they wanted to be very clear that in this book, that it wasn't the end because Paul's story came to conclusion. Why? Because it keeps on going still today. We're writing more chapters, right? add new paragraphs, add new sentences. And the thing that I wanted to leave us with and what I really felt convicted as I was kind of praying through the end of this series, what is the one thing to kind of challenge us with? My question for us, and we'll wrap up with this, is the question is, if there's future chapters written about the church, my question for you is, would you be seen anywhere in those chapters? Would your name be mentioned? Would there be any note of like, oh yeah, this, and she served faithfully in the nursery. Oh, and he was the one that was out serving after the fire and she was the one, would you be mentioned? I'll tell you what, I wanna be in the story of the church, don't you? Don't you wanna be a part of that? Each one of us has choices to make based on our time and usage of time, how we're a part or not a part of future chapters of the book of Acts, there's a silly cartoon that always ends with this uh, this image right here. I added a little. This this is my this is my graphic ability. I added to this picture here. That's not all, folks. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your word and for this account of the church as you were building your kingdom, taking it almost 3,000 miles from the city of Jerusalem where it all started to the, uh, the, 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 the leading city of that time, to Rome, where it, was, it continued to expand from there. We thank you for that, the fact that you use people. And that's what we see in this whole book, God, is that you choose to include us in this adventure. I pray for each one of us that we would heavily consider what our part is In the future chapters continuing to be written still today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us and enables us to do us any of this together. Praise you in Jesus Christ's name.
1: Amen. Well, it's not Christmas until we light an Advent candle. So Phoenix is here to help us out with some fire this morning. Don't worry. You'll be fine. Yeah. It our first candle, <laughs> our first candle represents the prophecy. It's called the prophecy candle, uh, conveniently, and I think it serves to remind us in the Advent season that this did not happen by chance or accident. It was not being improvised in the moment or rewritten after the fact. We know this because 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, multiple prophets, mostly Isaiah gave us these words. Chapter 7 says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Chapter 9 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned later in chapter 9 it says these familiar words for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace
0: well it's official now we're into the christmas season let it begin excited for that just a couple reminders as you're leaving first off if you don't already have your christmas cafe tickets make sure you grab them on your way out today Think through who you want to be inviting to join you next week. Just a couple things too. If there's any way we can be praying for you, I have a few volunteers available after the service. And as a uh, once a month thing that we do is we give towards a benevolent offering as you're leaving today. If you want to give towards that to help those in our community, that would be amazing. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great day.